We're going to continue in our series through the Sermon on the Mount. Sometimes I will do an isolated sermon and address uh, women of the Bible or address the life of Mary. Uh, and then there are years where we have just kept through with a particular theme as we work through. And uh, there were a few laughs on Tuesday when they realized the text was, Judge not that you be not judged. And so this is the Mother's Day text today. And we're going to trust in the sovereign timing of the Lord as we work through this. And one thing, um, I'll, I'll give you my commitment to this this morning, is I will not try to force applications where they aren't. Okay, so as we do every Sunday, God's Word is our authority. We look into the text. We make appropriate applications to our own hearts. And there are always applications for all of us. It's never simply an application for just this little silo group of people, but it is a much broader application. So as I started studying Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6, I came across an unfamiliar word, um, and it's the word censorious. So I looked it up and found out that it means severely critical of others, apt to blame or condemn, severe in commenting on others or on their actions, manners, and writings. Censorious. I think we're all familiar with this tendency in our own hearts. Children can do this against a mother and a father. Moms can do that against moms. Men against men. We can be very censorious. And, and that, I want that word to sort of stand out, not simply for you to add it to your vocabulary, but so that you understand what Jesus is talking about here. Uh, it becomes very clear as we work through the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, that there's a certain group of people that are not very far away from Jesus' mind as he's teaching. And he'll actually talk about them as hypocrites or scribes and Pharisees. Religious leaders made life more difficult for people as they added burdens to their followers that they were not themselves willing to carry. And religious leaders also created a religious charade. They gave ostentatiously, prayed obnoxiously, and fasted conspicuously, all to be seen by others. And this is not held in a vacuum. Those behaviors are modern-day behaviors still in the church. In his sermon, Jesus has already addressed in Matthew chapter 5, character, that true children of God are meek, they're pure, they're merciful, and they hunger and thirst after true righteousness. He's addressed influence. Followers of Jesus Christ are like salt that prevent decay and like light that illumine darkness. He's talked about righteousness, that he actually came to fulfill the law and the prophets, not to abolish it. And then he makes this startling statement and he says, and unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of who? This same group, the scribes and the Pharisees. You will in no wise enter heaven. He's addressed worship. When you give and you pray and you fast, don't be like the hypocrites, but have pure motives. Well, how will I know that I have pure motives when I'm worshiping God? Okay, you're going you're gonna to not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing when you give, and you're going to pray by entering into your closet. And when you fast, you're not going to disfigure your face and say, hey, pray for me, I'm fasting. Right? So he's addressed genuine worship. He's addressed ambition. Store up the right treasure 
Serve the right master. Choose the right spiritual perception. And don't be anxious. And of all people that should not be anxious, it's those who are serving God with an undivided heart rather than wealth. Now in chapter 7, we're in the third chapter of three chapters of the Sermon on the Mount, he addresses relationships. So this is where it is appropriate that we look at this text this morning. He's going to enter into the community and address how we interact with each other. Jesus neither assumes nor applies that the Christian community will be perfect. And aren't you glad he, does, he doesn't assume that? Because then our own experience would shout at us that this is disingenuous. This is not the right way. So what Jesus does is he doesn't assume that even this smaller community, where he's sort of a, a small sampling of the church of Jesus Christ, he doesn't even assume that us interacting on a relational level will be perfect or without tension or without censoriousness, harsh, sinful judgmentalism. And in this, Jesus exposes our propensity to judge others even when we don't see clearly. And again, as a master illustrator, he's going to use an illustration that you'll never forget. Okay, so let's look at this. It's a really simple outline. Part one, judge not. Part two, judge. Now, if that sounds like a, a double talk or a contradiction in terms, let's look at the text and see what the text is saying. Judge not. There's, first of all, in verses one and two, a command and a warning. Let's look at that. Look at verse one. Here's the command. Judge not that you be not judged. How many, just by way of curiosity, how many of you have heard that verse before? Some people say this is the most popular verse in the Scripture, even more so than John 3.16. Because it has been wielded as, get off my back. Doesn't even, this is where even unbelievers like take up the authority of Scripture. Doesn't the Scripture say... Don't judge me. Judge not that you be not judged. Well, the phrase judge not that you be not judged is often misunderstood and misapplied. First of all, like last week, this is what it does not mean. It does not mean that we suspend our critical abilities. It does not mean to refuse to step in as salt and light influence into a person's life. It is not instructing us to turn a blind eye to people's faults and never confront sin and never address sin. Nor does it mean that we never judge legally or go to the judicial system that has been set up into our country. It's not prohibiting any of those things. And the reason we know that is that almost immediately follow two other texts in Matthew chapter 7 that call for judgment. Look at verse 6. Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs. How do you know whether someone is a sheep or a dog? Or a hog? Well, you need to use critical discernment, don't you? Look at verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Here's the contrast. Uh, you will know a dog. And you will know a hog by its behavior. Now you need to use your critical discernment to discern a group of people that you cannot identify by their behavior. Why? Because they've 
dressed up as sheep. Now, they, some of us have watched some of the old Looney Tunes and, right, the wolf comes creeping in and underneath, you know, his wool doesn't fit very well and there are obviously wolf legs sticking out. And so we think that we'll still be able to discern a wolf because we have been uh, educated through cartoons. And, and the fact is, no, the point here is this wolf looks like any other sheep. And you need to judge to critically discern when someone is in here who has a ravenous appetite simply to cause destruction. So it's not just don't judge. It's don't judge a certain way. Do we understand that we always work with partial knowledge? So most of you in here work with very partial knowledge about who I am. And you, you reach certain judgments because you have spent, if you've been here for the last eight and a half years that we've been here, you get to know me on a certain level, mostly up front, sometimes around a dinner table, sometimes at coffee, or sometimes like yesterday at, you know, we played frisbee golf. And you get to learn a little more about me when I'm playing frisbee golf in a different environment than, than you learn about me here when I'm greeting you and when I preach to you but you are still working with very limited knowledge of who I am. But there's a smaller group of people in here who know me better than you. And, and it's not my family yet. Listen, we're just going up one. And these are a few men that know almost every single thing about me. Difficult conversations, sometimes tears. It's sharing our hearts. It's being vulnerable, it's seeking accountability, it's trying to encourage one another. They know me on a, on a much different level. Then there's a group of people here who know me really well because they spend nearly every day with me. And they know that, that my dad humor is better than anybody else's dad humor. Okay? And that's my family. And they see me when I'm on the top of my game and they see me when I'm down but even within that family, there's someone who may know me almost as well as I know myself. And that's my wife. She knows me. Okay, so, so I hope we understand. But even in her, she's not out there typically when I'm drinking my first cup of coffee and I've got these deep soul struggles or a crisis of faith or I'm working through things that wouldn't even be helpful to share. See, there, she still works with limited knowledge but a much more informed knowledge. Does that make sense? Do we understand that, that we can gather a few facts from each other or, or you know, read a headline or look at a reaction and come to a harsh judgment on someone? That's possible. It's possible for me to do that with you and it's possible for you to do that with me. We all work with partial knowledge. As a matter of fact, to show you the error, Jesus already highlighted this in the sermon. Don't be impressed by religious robes. Don't automatically assume someone is spiritual because they're standing on the street corner praying. You should be concerned if somebody is always announcing how much they're giving to the poor. Right? So you're working with partial knowledge, but, but even the partial knowledge we have can lead us to a wrong conclusion. This is what Jesus is pushing against. We need to avoid shallow evaluations of each other. For example, we'll get to this in a few weeks. 
The wolf is always more earnest to convince you he belongs in the flock. But his motivation is dark. In chapter 7, verses 1 to 5, Jesus is cautioning us against hypocritical and harsh judgment. It's the same idea Paul teaches in Romans 14. You might be wondering why that text this morning that was read. Listen to what he says. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? That's the word, despise. There are some of us who reach such harsh conclusions on, not, on one another, not based on facts, but based on assumptions. And it's actually out from a heart that despises our brother. John Stott said this, The censorious critic is a fault finder who is negative and destructive towards other people and enjoys actively seeking out their failings. He puts the worst possible construction on their motives, pours cold water on their schemes, and is ungenerous towards their mistakes. Paul wrote to the Romans, Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. The simple point is this. Man is not God. Don't assume a role that was never yours to take in the first place. I mean, since when have other people become your servants? And since when have you become their God who will stand in judgment over them? You know, we, we could give application or illustration after illustration of this. Uh, but there were times when we as, a, we as parents determined uh, that certain education would be better for some of our children than others. And at the time we made some decisions, we, we, were, we were strongly judged, despised, criticized, harshly condemned for choosing a path that was not what the other people thought should happen. And you can, you can make illustration after illustration after illustration um, that, that, that I don't get to become a, yes, I have a shepherding care. Yes, the church exercises a certain kind of judgment. Yes, we are called even to do um, certain interactions. Part of the ministry is rebuke, exhort. Okay? These things are not missing. But I have not been called to be a God to judge your life. So the warning is this. It's, a, it's not a command to muzzle or be blind, but an exhortation to see clearly and be careful. So there's a command. Look at the warning. Look at verse 2. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So there's a principle of sowing and reaping in this warning. Uh, when you purchase something in the market, and I think Jesus has the market in his mind here, when you purchase something in the market for a certain amount of money, they would measure that out. You would get exactly what you bargained for, is a familiar phrase. And we need to be very careful. Jesus is warning, be very careful, because if you use exacting, harsh judgment on other people, guess what's going to come back to you? Sooner or later... You dig a pit, Proverbs says, you're going to fall into one. There is also a view towards a final judgment made by God, and we certainly want God to deal with us generously, right? Therefore, we deal with others generously, which gives evidence that we are kingdom citizens, that we're truly born again followers of Jesus Christ. 
And again, in Romans 14, that was read for us this morning. Why do you pass judgment on your brother or you? Why do you despise your brother? He follows it with this statement, for we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. I will, as a believer, there are two different judgments, the great white throne judgment for unbelievers and the judgment seat of Christ for believers. I will not give an account for sin at the judgment seat of Christ. Why? Because all my sin was placed upon who? Jesus Christ. But there is a sense of suffering loss even at the judgment seat of Christ. How do I know that? Because scriptures teach that. That there is a loss that can be suffered when we are judged by God. To follow this command and warning, look at, the, look at verses 3 and 4 because there are two questions. I like what Lyle Schaller said. The most effective way to influence both individual and institutional behavior is to ask questions. Jesus asks two questions. Look at verse 3. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? Again, Jesus, a master illustrator, uh, gives us something of hyperbole, something I believe partly humorous to make a point. In when we lived in Kenya, we had a swing set made by a local welder uh, for our children. It was made of just the rough uh, steel that is found over there, and then we had ordered uh, some of the S-clips here in the States and some yellow swing sets, and they were shipped over. And what happened is when the inferior metal came into contact with a superior metal, it would grind away, and of course, when the kids are swinging, what are they doing? They often lean back, right, and, and they look. It was a crudely made swing set. Reminded me of the playgrounds I used to play on before all the rules were enacted. You remember some of these playgrounds? Right? 57 foot high slide with quarter inch barrier and just went down. And in, in the heat of the afternoon, all kinds of injuries, including burns. Right? That's, that's, my, that's my childhood. Anyway, this swing set was similar. And, but we thought it was safe. And so they're swinging and swinging and swinging. And before we know it, Joshua is complaining of an irritation in his eye. And got the flashlight out, can't see anything. He can still see, but it's, it's obviously irritating him. Um, we ended up, it wouldn't go away. I mean, you know, he's telling us, that, no, it just feels like there's a splinter in there of something. So we take him to the doctor, and sure enough, uh, the doctor puts on that just incredible headgear that looks like it's out of some sci-fi movie, and you know, these little beady things, and yup, there is a a steel splinter in the surface of his eye. So we made an appointment and we had to go back. Now, if I had gone back in and they said, just wait here for the doctor. And of course, my son, you know, irritation. And he's been putting some drops in it to bring it to the surface a little bit. And this man walked out with a seven foot ebony post in his eye. As a loving father, what am I going to do? I'm going to make an executive decision as we duck from this man's, you know, beam and his alone, let me, let me help your son. You can't help my son when you have a telephone pole sticking out of your eye, right? I mean, this is the, Jesus is making this point and everybody's like, oh yeah, we'd never, we'd never let somebody remove the speck with this swinging timber in the room. 
right? Even if he tries to get close to you, you you're, you're threatened to be crushed in the head. And so what does he say? That's the illustration. So how can you say, oh, no, no, no. Let me remove your speck when you have the log in your eye. Do you know there are people, there are always people in our gathering who have specks that they need help with. It's a, it's a little speck of values or lifestyle decisions or a speck of some sin or viewing habit. They're specks. But then what often happens in the same group of people is that sort of the log bearer comes along and harshly condemns the speck person. And what Jesus is saying is they do need help. The speck is irritating. But you're in no position to do it because you're swinging this log around the room trying to help your brother and you don't even know you have a log protruding out of your eye. You know, we have the crushing tendency to exaggerate the faults of others while minimizing our own faults. Jesus provided an example of this in Luke chapter 18, verse 9. Let me just read this. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Remember, so the Pharisees and the scribes are never very far from Jesus' mind when he is teaching. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Right. So we would say, you know, one, a religious elite and another a sinner. The Pharisee standing by himself and and notice that these are the three behaviors Jesus already pointed out and said, don't be like them. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you. I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. You just hear the logs swinging around in the room. I fast twice a week. I give tithes. You can almost hear that, you know, triumphant voice. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, the sinner, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. He's got a speck in his eye. But beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Here's what Jesus says. I tell you, this man, the sinner, went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. A.B. Bruce wrote this about censoriousness. A censoriousness is a pharisaic vice, that of exalting ourselves by disparaging others, a very cheap way of attaining moral superiority. And how often the religious, because this is what Jesus is teaching, I'm not making this up, How often the religious lack an awareness of themselves, blinded by their own log, but offering to help other people with their specks. So what is the way forward? Well, in verse 5, there is the problem, the cure, and the way forward. It's all given in this really condensed verse. Let's look at verse 5. Here's the problem. You hypocrite. That's it. That's the problem. The problem is we are prone towards hypocrisy. We are prone towards stage playing. We are prone towards taking on a character that really isn't us. Our propensity, my propensity, is to hypocritically judge others and to judge them harshly without ever considering my own needs. You know why it feels better, doesn't it? At least, at least temporarily, It feels so good when I can say, I can't believe they did that. 
And yet my pride is oozing all over the place and tripping up people and causing a toxic environment for everybody who lives with me. Earlier, Jesus exposed our hypocrisy in relation to God, practicing our religion to be seen by others, fixating on their specs. Now he exposes our, our hypocrisy, not in relation to God, but to others, fixating on their, their minor faults while failing to deal with our more serious faults. Do you know it's a good rule to be stricter with ourselves than it is with others? If I am stricter with myself, I will be more generous with other people. 1 Corinthians 11.31 even says this, but if we judged ourselves truly, accurately, honestly, we would not be judged. Look at the cure. The problem, we're hypocrites. The cure, verse 5, first. So there's going to be two actions here. First, take the log out of your own eye. Right now, I was thinking about taking one of these big white poles up here and kind of pulling it up. But I thought, that's a terrible Mother's Day, you know, <laughs> illustration. Just like on the, the morning when I was preaching on, you know, don't blow a trumpet before you give. I really wanted to be up here at the offering with a trumpet. And as soon as we start to just blow it as loud as I could. And then I thought, no, that's, that would be offensive. Because I would jump scare so many people. And they would have no idea what I was doing. You know, until I got to explain it after 25% of the congregation left offended or scared. You know, they wouldn't have any idea what's going on. So, no, I'm not going to sit up here with the, the white pole. But the, the idea is this. Because it's not really a log. We get that. First, take the log out of your own eye. Repent of your sinful judgmentalism. And then listen what happens. And then you will see clearly. Clothe yourself with humility. I think of some of the, the diver training my son had to go through where they, they put on a, a swim mask, but it's blacked out. They purposely have to learn to function without any visibility. And some of us, without even knowing it, we kind of wear those goggles as we try to judge other people. First, remove those so you can see clearly and then you will see clearly. And then here's the way forward. Verse 5 still. And then you will see clearly to what? To take the speck out of your brother's eye. See, we quote verse 1. Don't judge me. Judge not that you be not judged. And we think that's the end of the matter. When the fact is we rarely get to verse 5 that says, no, you remove the log out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to remove the speck out of your brother's eye. See, this was never about not helping others. This was never about not exercising spiritual discernment. It was never about not graciously confronting and rebuking and trying to reconcile. It has always been about right spiritual perception first and then helping others. Listen to what Galatians chapter 6 says. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression... You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. In a healthy family, a brother who loves a brother will care for and protect him. Typically. doesn't always look like that when they're down in the basement wrestling. But a brother typically, in a healthy family, a brother protects a brother. Um, let me make it personal. If you... If you harass Isaiah, it probably expect a visit from Joshua and Micah.
But it's okay for them to harass Isaiah, right? That's in the family. They're, they're wrestling. And the same is true of them. I mean, in some ways, a brother can do no wrong, even if they've done wrong. He'll rise up. He'll defend his brother. Right? And this is so true, even in, in schools and even in other families. You can, you can name call and pester each other of your siblings all day long, but don't you dare try to do that to somebody else's sibling where the family kind of moves in on them. So don't miss the point. Every illustration breaks down at some point. Here's the point. Then you will see clearly to be removed the speck from whose eye? Everybody's eye? Even if I see clearly I'm walking through Walmart and I'm trying to remove people's specks? Whose eye? Your brother's eye. There's a family relationship. There, there has been a bridge of relationship and trust built so that when you see clearly, you can come along lovingly and remove the speck out of his eye. The fact that censoriousness and hypocrisy are forbidden does not relieve us of the brotherly and sisterly responsibility to help one another. And by the way, this anticipates another well-known verse. Look at verse 12 of chapter 7. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. Now, having said not to judge, let's quickly look at verse 6. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. This seems out of place, doesn't it? Even surprising. Like right after this, this beautiful argument about not judging, and you'll be judged with the same measure, and this incredible illustration that we'll never forget, and then first remove the log, and then you will see clearly to help take the speck out of your brother's eye, and then you're, you're confronted with dogs and pigs and wealth and pearls. So what's going on here? There is a great danger in being sinfully judgmental. And there is a great danger in being spiritually undiscerning. You need clear sight for both. This verse guides us against being deceived by those who can harm those we are called to protect. So I'm supposed to help my brother, but I can't help him with a log in my eye. So I need to see clearly. I need to remove that judgmental, harsh hypocrisy out of my life so I can help my brother. Do you know how else I help those under my care? I see clearly to judge accurately. Pigs are not only unclean, but wild and unpredictable. The dogs referred to here are not the house pets, but the scavengers that will growl at you even if you give them food. This statement provides a balance. Remember Jesus had even called Herod Antipas that fox? What was Jesus doing? He was seeing clearly to appropriately discern. Jesus also labeled hypocritical scribes and Pharisees whitewashed tombs and a brood of vipers. What was Jesus doing? Well, judge not. It should be not. He is judging, but he's judging properly. He's not merely being censorious. He's not judging harshly and hypocritically, but as the Son of God with pure eyes, he is judging accurately, and we are called to do the same. 2 Peter 2, verse 22 says this, what the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. Unbelievers will act according to their nature. Jesus is teaching there are certain human actions that are animal-like and we must not turn a blind eye to these. 
It is the spouse who inflicts domestic violence. It is parents endangering their children. It is the sexual predators who are not uncommon in the church. It is the false prophets who deceive for their own gain. So when, we, when Jesus says, judge not, he is also saying this, you need to judge. You need to see clearly and properly to discern for the protection of those under your care. We're also cautioned how we interact with them. And this is in keeping with verses like Proverbs 26, verse 4. So listen to this and tell me if this sounds like a contradiction. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Answer a fool, don't answer a fool. Judge not, judge. Wise people discern when it's appropriate to respond to a fool, and it's not always appropriate to respond to a fool. Because you could be trampled underfoot, or you could be attacked by a dog or a pig. It's not inconsistent counsel, but freedom to navigate each situation. Do you know there were occasions when Jesus was questioned in a legitimate judicial court and he refused to answer? He discerned the situation and he did not throw his pearls to swine. Proverbs 23, 9 says, Do not speak in the hearing of a fool, for he will despise the good sense of your words. Proverbs 9, verse 8, Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. So we are called to judge not, and we are called to judge for the protection of those under our care. So how should we respond this morning? For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer but rather decide never to put a stumbling block. And that is a cause to sin. It's not something that somebody just disagrees with, a preference or an opinion. This is my actions are actually causing others to sin. Let us decide never to put a cause for sinning or hindrance in the way of a brother. There's that family language again. You know, one of the arguments that skeptics provide for not believing is that the church is no different than the world. And does it surprise you that the skeptics are often correct in their assessment? Do you know what one of the things skeptics say? The church is filled with what? Yeah, you've heard that before. Hypocrites. They're always what? Judging. 1 Corinthians 13, 4-6 says this. Love, and it's, if this is written to the church, the church at Corinth. This isn't individual. This isn't about a marriage. Primarily, it's about how we interact as a church. Love is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. I always knew he'd fail. Yes. I knew that was going to happen to her. Wait, wait, wait. Since when did they become your servants and when did you become their God? How should this text shape us? Really, really quick, just remember, don't be blind, but be generous. Don't be harsh, but be discerning. Do you know this is how God, through the gospel, acts towards you and me? I've had people level false accusations against me in my lifetime. 
when I could have given them legitimate things to really accuse me about that were worse than what they were accusing me about. And aren't you glad that God already knows everything about you? I mean, you often hear Satan doesn't need to make up stuff to accuse us. Aren't you glad that God, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, deals with you generously, graciously? He knows my crimes. He knows my attitudes. He knows my sin. All of it is is openly before Him. And how does God deal with me? And how does God deal with you through the gospel? How did God deal with the Apostle Paul, though he was a murderer? How did God deal with Peter, who shortly after blatantly denying that Jesus is the Lord and probably should have been out of the ministry altogether according to his, his team, within 40 days is completely restored, not just as a disciple, but as the leader of the disciples. This is how God deals with us through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Therefore, as James says this, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who's, it's, it's not because there isn't any evil. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? And again, that's in the same spirit of that harsh, hypocritical, sinful judgmentalism. Aren't you thankful that God, even though He knows everything about you, has forgiven you in Jesus Christ? And if you're here and you're not a believer, and you're here and, you're, and you're, your final argument is, well, the church is all corrupt and all hypocritical, do you know that when, when God looks at you, He already knows you. He sees the hypocrisy. He sees the failures. He sees the sins. He sees the things you thought that you've totally gotten away with. He sees it all. And He still offers to you forgiveness in the sacrifice of His Son, Jesus Christ. How should this text shape us as a church? Let's be aware of both extremes. Both hypocritical judgmentalism and naive gullibility that can harm others. And let us this morning realize God doesn't accept us by any of our works. Not even my works of righteousness, which I have done. But according to His mercy, He saved me. And according to His mercy, He can save you if you ask. Let's pray.